I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. So today's Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 26. And for those who have the blue Bibles, you can find that on page 1171, or you can follow along behind me on the screen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see you all. Let's pray and get into Galatians 5. Father, your word is good, even though it's hard sometimes. Father, you are good. And in Christ, you have set us free from our sin and our guilt and our shame and all the things which are abhorrent to you. Help us now to understand your will and to live free in Christ and what that means. So guide us as we unpack your word. May you be given the glory in our community and in our lives, we pray. Amen. So how free do you want to be? You might have to click that for me, Amanda. There we go. How free do you want to be? Let's go back. No, you can't see them yet. It's a secret. How free do you want to be? You go to work, you grab a coffee, you come home, you drink a beer, you watch Netflix, you go to your friend's house and eat pizza, you buy socks for your dad, you go shopping, you get paid, you fill up the car with petrol, you choose the glass jar over the plastic bottle at the deli, you take a selfie of the sunset after having dinner at a cafe. That's not the freedom I'm talking about. Think deeper. How free do you want to be? In our day, we often think of human freedom in terms of the absence of responsibility and to make a choice. Free to do what we want, when we want, as long as I'm not hurting anyone in the process. Now, of course, we're free to kick around this world however we want to, in some sense, like I told you just before. But when does a quest for more freedom become slavery? The trouble is you can use your free will and end up losing both your freedom and your will. How free do you want to be? You see, Scripture declares we're not free in the sense of being outside of God's control. We are nonetheless free, nonetheless, sorry, free to make willing choices that have real effects. If we think we are free in our choice so that God has no idea and he's kind of catching up to us, well, then we'd be equal to God. And that's something that's never promised in this life or the life to come. How free do you want to be? Which means when we think about freedom, we must do so in relation to God. After all, we were made to relate to him in his creation under his loving rule and care. To say another way, biblical freedom then is doing what we have been crafted to do. Take one of the greatest examples of freedom in the whole Bible, the story of the Exodus. God's people slaves under the harsh, oppressive regime of Pharaoh in Egypt. And then Moses comes in Exodus 5 and stands before Pharaoh and declares, let my people go. And we forget that actually the next part of that verse, it says that they may go to the wilderness. And then we realize why it's to actually go and worship God. So biblical freedom then is set free from what enslaves for the worship of God. How free do you want to be? All of that to say that Galatians, the letter we've been studying these past few weeks, it speaks about freedom as an outcome of our salvation. You see, the way of Jesus is wonderfully freeing, but it's free to live as a new creation under God's loving rule and care. And that means I'm free now to no longer sin and free to love others. And that's what we're going to explore today. 
And as we hit chapter 5 and 6 of Galatians, over the next three weeks, Paul settled the law and the salvation issue. And the question now becomes, if the Torah law has been done away with, how is a non-Jewish person, a non-Jewish Christian, I should say, going to live without it? It gave a standard for generations. And you're saying in Christ, that's kind of fulfilled. What's the standard for living? How do we do it? Which Paul says is actually all through the spirit of Jesus. Five times in Galatians, Paul mentions the spirit-specific role. In 3.20, sorry, 3.2, the Holy Spirit comes to us by faith, not keeping the law. In 4.6, the Spirit has come to us to make us cry, Abba, Father, showing our adoption into God's family. In 5.5, the Spirit enables us to wait well for what is to come. In 22 and 23, the, the Holy Spirit produces a God's character in us. And in 5.18 and 25, we walk by the Spirit, not by our sinful nature. For Paul, the Spirit of God is the power and means for living the way of Jesus. Trouble is, we often get distracted from this freedom that we already have in Jesus. And we see two distractions that the Galatians faced in verses 1 to 12. And this is the final summary, if you like, of the issues from chapters 1 all the way through 4 at this point. But the first thing Paul does is he set the tone. In verse 1, he says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Has set us free is a wonderful past event. But the standing firm, this is a present reality. And as we stand firm, we are not let ourselves again be burdened by slavery. You see, the big picture that you have been set free from the cross of Jesus is, is is freedom. This panoramic view of our life that all the situations, all the behaviors that we enter into now, we do so with this view of being free in Christ, framing it with the call, do not return to slavery of any form. And the first distraction the Galatians faced in verse 2 and 6 was that of circumcision. For Galatians, those in Galatia, sorry, the circumcision was what really counted, not Jesus. They were distracted by the wrong things. Not this grand view of Jesus being all sufficient. You know, the problem isn't actually circumcision here. In Acts 16, Timothy gets circumcised. Paul says, we've got to do it. Because the Jewish nation hold it so high and as a witness for the gospel, so we don't cause offense, let's make that happen. But it was never adding to salvation. It was never to say, I'm now a great Christian man because this is what I've done. It was actually to, to break a barrier down so the gospel could be proclaimed. You see, it's the weight that the Galatians placed on it that was the problem. And even the law is not actually the problem. The law is good. But if you think you can just follow the law... And add to what Jesus has done on the cross. Then don't even worry about Jesus. Verse 2. Why? Because you're trying to make circumcision do something it could never possibly do. It's to say, Jesus, your body, your skin being cut. All of my guilt and shame put on you. Actually, I can do a better job in my own body with my body, Jesus. And Jesus, is actually my scars that are going to heal me, not yours. And you politely say, thank you, I'll take you, Jesus. But you'll be like the vending machine, Jesus, that I'll turn to just for a little pick-me-up every now and then. 
while I appeal to all this other stuff and add to it. But as verse 4 says, that's falling from grace. And this kind of thinking, it makes the future foggy and fearful and removes any hope of freedom that you may have. You see, the law makes you a slave to the future. Grace makes you wait eagerly with certainty and confidence that the freedom that you're declared right by God's grace and not your ability. And that one day, as verse 5 says, you will attain full salvation. I've been thinking about this verse all week. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. That promise does not come through the law. It only comes by the Spirit because only the Spirit can give that confidence because the Spirit removes the dreaded question the law always has, is it enough? I've done it. Is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? And that's why the future is foggy and uncertain. But the, but the Spirit of God replaces it and says, actually, Jesus says, I am enough. And so the law says, do this and do that. But faith is expressed in love, which means it's neither legalistic like circumcision, nor is it against any law at all. By not being circumcised, Paul says, it does, it does not matter. There's actually a third way. The gospel won't let us hold any of those up. It promotes another way, faith in Jesus through love. And that was being missed. The Galatians were distracted with the Torah law in their Christian walk, which came from being distracted by the wrong person. That's 7 to 12. From what we know about Galatia, it was a very, very uh, cultic, ceremonial place. Lots of emperor worship. And you have to be sympathetic with the Galatians here. If you've come from a background that celebrates worship of, of the emperor and has lots of ceremony and ritual, and someone comes and says, it's the, this mosaic Torah law is what you need to follow now you're saved, it scratches an itch. It was very attractive. You see, the problem in Galatia isn't about faith and works. It's a little more nuanced than that. It's more about not adding to the sufficiency of Jesus. So in verse 7, Paul says, you were running a good race, meaning you are already saved by grace. But someone has come alongside you, cut you off, distracting your gaze from Jesus and onto other things. It's reminiscent of the Tour de France and the hill climbs. And if you've ever seen it, and, and I have and massively steep hills, and they're harsh, and then the riders are going up, and on the sidelines are all these people cheer, cheering and yelling and shouting and screaming. And then more often than not, the people get so excited, they end up getting, cutting off the riders, and they're trying to get up the hill with all the energy they can muster. And this, this wonderful guy with a horn there, and you see the guy on the yellow, yelling, and they're in the way, they're cutting them off. But you know the organizers don't do that. The one who planned the event, planned the race, they're not on the sidelines distracting them. They're on the motorbikes. They're cheering them on. They've set up everything along the way so they can succeed. It's the people that cut them off. And this, this imposing of a law, this focus on circumcision, God is not putting it there, verse 8, like the Tour de France. And then using a cooking metaphor, or image I should say, Paul says in the same way that you need just a little bit of this single cell fungus called yeast to make the whole bread rise and turn from a dense rock of glue to something fluffy and delicious, small things have big results. 
And so the second solution thing, we just brush it off. Why does it really matter? Why are you going on about it for four chapters, Paul? We just shrug it off. But it has catastrophic consequences, do you see? Because those preaching circumcision have removed the offense and the necessity of the cross. Today, it's scandalous that you even need saving. After all, I'm a good person. And moreover, if God is real and God is the God who you say he is, that he's a God of love, then of course God has to like me and of course God has to do the best for me. So therefore, when I see God, if he or she or whatever it is actually does ever exist and I get to this thing you call heaven and I'm standing there because I am good and God is loving, then God will have to save me on the virtue of God being God. And it's scandalous that you would say that's part of the story and God is that, but actually... It's more than that. It's a big deal. Paul insists that those promoting circumcision should go the whole way and just emasculate themselves. And and this is the third kind of image to drive home his point. Now, the tense of the word, he's not actually asking them to go and do it. What he's saying is, stop preaching circumcision. It's a rhetorical device. He didn't expect them to do it. Jerome, in the 4th century, uh, translating into the Latin Vulgate, says this, and I think this gets the point really well. Oh, you can't see it. Can we change that? Maybe. It's not working. There we go. Oh, no, too far. We've gone too far. We have emasculated the slide. Yeah, that came out. I didn't think about it. Can we just go back to the one of Jerome? Um, Jerome in the fourth, he says, tell those who are disturbing you, I would like to see the knife slip. It gets the point across. B.B. Warfield said, a mutilated gospel produces mutilated lives. And that's the point. They're distracted by the wrong things and the wrong people. And what's at stake is the freedom that Christ has won for them at the cross. And the way forward is all the way back in verse 1. Stand firm in Christ. He has set you free. It is very easy to be distracted with so many things in church and in life with competing desires and you wake up and a hundred dogs of thoughts as C.S. Lewis said come rushing at you in the morning and our hearts are trying to make sense of it all and the hope in a distracting world is Jesus. The one who purchased our freedom in his death and his resurrection to cut through the white noise and confusion so that we can finally live free. That's it. The hope we have in a distracting world is Jesus. So, okay, I get it. Galatians 5.1 says, uh, stand firm. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Don't get distracted from the gospel. Well, what does God desire of me then? And this is how Paul fleshes it out in, in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He's expanding on the freedom in verse 1, you see. And indulge, indulge is a great way to think about our remaining sinfulness. It brings to mind a lingering, enticing atmosphere. has all the circumstances favorable for an activity, and it invites you to take it all in. Uh, A few weeks ago, Tasha had a bad day at work, and I sent her this photo to entice her with a reward when she got home. I, I set up in her a desire for something better than a frustrating day at work. You're having a bad... This is what's... This is what's awaiting you, right? This is, this is home. 
And in the same way, your flesh, it offers you a photo of desire waiting for you to indulge in it. But in Christ, we're called not to create space or enter into or drink from the cup of sin. You are free to no longer indulge in sin. That is what God desires. You see, Paul argues that you're totally free in Christ. And that means you're free. So there are things that you are no longer going to want to do. There are things that you should not do because it becomes slavery again. Because to indulge in sin is to be a slave to it, to have it master and control you. And that's not freedom. Freedom has limits, else there's chaos. Freedom has a form, it's not anarchy. We are free from the condemning power of sin. But we can still go back and choose to sin. I'm free to make that choice. I'm free to follow God's spirit or not to. And so my freedom comes with the ability to not live free. And the barrier to freedom is my own flesh that won't sit still or lie down dead. All too often in our communities, I am the biggest barrier to what God desires. Because I rebel from God's spirit and direction. All too often, the problem isn't out there with you. It's actually in here with me. With my sin and my faulty heart. And freedom sounds the cry, serve one another in love, loving your neighbor as yourself, verse 14. You are free to do that. And in doing so, you find what you long for. You fulfill this law. But the problem is, The problem is most of us have such a terrible view of ourselves that how then can we love our neighbor as ourselves when I don't even like myself? Well, you can't love your neighbor as yourself until you're free from yourself through Christ, crucifying your flesh, your desire, your selfish ambition. And when you walk back into God's kingdom, we begin the process of seeing ourselves in light of Christ. You see, the gospel comes to us and says, do you know you are actually more evil than you thought? You know, you actually haven't got your life together at one scrap that you thought you did. You are a vile, horrible person than you could ever actually imagine. And at the same time, the next wave that crashes over that thought is the fact that you are more loved than you ever dare hope. And so your self-image problems need to begin with Jesus and the Spirit as he injects a holy love of self into you. You neither have pride in who you are, nor you feel despair in what you are in Christ. You see, God desires to cut through all the distractions by the cross, not circumcision. Galatians. So we can be free to love one another and then fulfill this law. And this is the last part. How then do I do that? And the answer is terrible and it's terrific. At the same time, you can't do it. You have no hope. You will never love as perfectly as you should. You will never love as properly as you should. You can't fulfill the law of love just by doing better and trying harder. So God does it. As God saves you by his grace, he will work his grace in his community. Look at verse 16. Paul gives us another imperative here. He says, walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desire of the flesh. Verse 17, that mentions a single, all-encompassing desire of the flesh. The word desires is actually singular, not plural. While we may have 10,000 desires, all of them are aimed at a single one desire contrary to the Spirit of God. You see, deep in me, I'm opposing the Spirit of God at work in my life. 
It's not so much part of me wants to sin and part of me doesn't. It's that I'm actually not desiring the Spirit. The struggle is me resisting this freedom of the Spirit to bring about fruit as I walk with Him. And even though we feel that pull, we must remember we are not under sin's authority anymore. G.K. Chesterton said, Should a rhinoceros walk into here or charge in here right now, I would be the first to rise and say, you may have great authority, you would have great power, but I would assure him that he has no authority whatsoever. Should a rhino charge in here right now, I would be the first to rise and assure him, you have great power, but I would also assure him, you have no authority whatsoever. And so it is with our relationship with the flesh. It has great power, but we are not under the authority of it. We are under the authority of Jesus, not the rhino of sin. And the way forward is walking by the Spirit to love others, not indulging in my sin, you see. Which is why the list in verses 19 to 21, at first, when you read it, it seems like a very big jump from circumcision. But consider we're still dealing with how the law is fulfilled in Christ, and these works of the flesh are what the Torah law actually spoke against. And so the law gave the standard, but it gave no power to obey. But in Jesus, we find freedom from the condemnation of these things. Because he died to them, and then he gives us power to obey through the Spirit. And then in verse 22, we're introduced to the fruit of the Spirit. And that links back to the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh destroy community, dehumanize people, whereas the fruit of the Spirit grows true community through God's own God-centered organic means. Moreover, because the Spirit is fully God, he shares the attributes of God. So this fruit is the character of God being brought to life in our life as the Spirit creates the right atmosphere for it to happen. The question we need to ask here is not, do you feel horrible that you haven't done these today? The question is bigger than that. Actually, are they part of my new freedom I have in Christ as the Spirit works them in me? It's deeper than a character trait. It's about God planting the seed and causing it to grow. They're the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Luke because he's had a good day and just got it together. They're not the fruit of, of me as I try harder. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and he wants to push them through into your life and cause it to grow. This, this also rejects any idea that you can have the goodness of the Spirit and of Jesus without him. I think of two prominent people who turned away from the faith this last month. And they walked away, and, and both of them said at the end of their kind of, here's why I'm leaving Jesus because of these various reasons. But at the end of it, they both said, I feel free. I feel good. I feel at peace to deny Jesus. And what they're saying, in effect, is that they want the goodness of the kingdom of God without the king. They want what can only be found in God, but without God. They want the freedom. They want the. They want all that. But the, it's tragic that it will never work. They will never find what they want without the God, who creates true freedom. It's our flesh just giving a false sense of security. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of me finally letting all my desires of the flesh come out. That's just slavery again. So the question is. How then do I make room for the Spirit to work? And the answer is in verse 24. 
it points back to the cross. It all starts and finishes there, you see. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. That is the place of salvation and that is the place of continual life and freedom at the cross. So let's summarize Galatians 5 with these final three points. Because you're free in Jesus, don't be distracted because you have all you need in Christ already. The Spirit makes us whole. The most meaningful, creative, satisfying life lived is lived here in the Spirit of God. What this means is that in Jesus and the Spirit, they are not there for our restriction, but for our joy. You have been set free in the death of Jesus, not for an unfettered pursuit of your own desires. We now find pleasure in bringing glory to God, serving others in love and not indulging in our sin. That means we also have a way forward when our flesh rebels against God. You see, the more you're aware of the indwelling rhino of sin charging at you, the better you know that, the more likely you are to avoid its promises, threats, and see through them for what they are. A few years ago, I went fishing, and I hate fishing. And I thought, I better try it, because someone said, come on the boat. And I thought, this would be great. And I'd never been on a boat, so this would be fun. And I, I remember um, we were there for about three hours, and after five minutes, I had enough. But it was I shouldn't have, because if you like fishing, you don't often see the fish. But we could. It was so clear. And I look over the side, and I saw all the fish in the water. And I just had a little reel, and I just kind of hovered it and then dropped it and watched it sink. And the fish grabbed it, and then I wheeled it back up. And I think I got the same fish about ten times in the end. But um, do you know, for the fish, all it saw was bait. It didn't see the hook. And our indwelling sin does the same thing. It dangles this wonderful thing in our face and says, you can have this, you can be that, you can do this. This is what's going to make you free and taste good. And at the same time we go for that, in it, underlying it is a hook. And what tasted and what you thought would taste so sweet is bitter and poisonous. But you see, in Christ, the, the, the poison of sin is now removed, but its fangs are still there and they're sharp. But it cannot condemn you. Because only in Jesus can he slay the indwelling rhino. So as Paul says in verse 1, stand firm. The second thing is, because you are free in Jesus, you are free to be a new human who desires what God does. You know, God desires to create an atmosphere where his character can be manifest in you. So you can cultivate these fruits more and more. And so, yes, there is a sense in which you have to prune off old habits. Scott McKnight says anything that cuts into the freedom of God's spirit needs to be cut out. But it's not always that simple. Suppose I hand you a live wolverine. They're actually animals, not just superheroes. Did you know that? I have a photo of one. Very ferocious thing. I hand you a live wolverine and I say, please dissect it for me. I give you no anesthetic and no ropes. You can try talking to it. Now, sir, if you lay still, we'll have this over in just a moment. And you'll be quickly met with violence and teeth and claws and lots of scratches. The Spirit of God is actually able to offer us the remedy 
and dissect and cut away our sin and in its place produce fruit. On our own, we are about as useful as getting rid of our sin as trying to dissect a live wolverine. We have no hope. We can mask it. We can change our sin as we get older, get out of the circumstance, but indwelling us, there's still a wolverine there. You are free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Serve in love like Jesus served you, not as a debtor's ethic to pay God back, because you'll never pay him back anyway, but in love for him. And finally, because you are free in Jesus, you can actually walk in the Spirit And you have a concrete hope of pulling it off. Did you know that? There is a social and communal dimension to this freedom and fruit too. We often read too much about in my individual life into this passage. But we've been free to serve one another in love. And the fruit of the Spirit is to make our communities flourish after the character of God, not to breed the works of the flesh. So Superman can do mighty, marvelous things. So we say, until you put kryptonite in his shoe and, well, it's all over. Daredevil just has to have loud noises and he's rendered useless. And in Homer's Iliad, uh, Achilles was unbeatable until Paris shot him in the hill and down he went. You know, superheroes all have their weaknesses. And as strong, as dangerous as sin is and as relationship splitting as it can be, the kryptonite and and the, the white noise and the arrows all rolled into one is actually faith. By faith in Jesus, we walk by the Spirit. When I've goofed up my conversation with you, when I become prideful and need to admit that I've got it wrong, faith enables me to put your needs above my own, to welcome you into our homes, to open the fridge and do life genuine community with you all. The Spirit of God works that in us by faith, and each individual is being made fruitful for the purpose of serving God and glorifying him. And in that, we are going to find true freedom. And so the question is, how free do you want to be? Let's pray. Father God, Jesus crucified our flesh. Our passions, our desires were nailed to the cross Help us to see that in you, there is freedom to finally be and live and exist as you have made us for. Not freedom to to fulfill all our desires. Lord, you know what they are. The freedom to finally live as a child of God. So Father, help us stand firm this week. As we go into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday and our weekends, Father, may we stand firm in the, in the hope, in the promise that you are creating an atmosphere in us to be fruitful. And by faith, we can simply rest in you. So God, produce fruit in us for your glory, for the benefit of others. In your name we pray, amen.